a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. Are you ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Work Hard, Rock Hard came out November 19th. Very stoked to be talking to Kurt Dimer and Phil X. Welcome to the show, guys. What's happening? Woo! Good to be here. Yes. What's going on? So uh, talk about this. like we've been here for half an hour already. (laughs) (laughs) Give a little context to this. Yeah, we just did like a 50-minute interview and like none of it recorded. So we're starting over. So let's... uh... Let's let's uh, let's let's listen. Let's get right into it. Uh, Kurt, talk about the EP a little bit and uh, sell us on this. Well, work hard, rock hard is our debut. That oh, uh, be more enthusiastic. You're doing it a second time. You got to be happy. EP, we're bringing it to the world. We it, unfortunately, to Phil and my dismay, it came out a little late in our uh, debut tour, but it's out and. Uh, We've got songs that'll be coming uh, coming out uh, that we'll be promoting more from that album. We're going to go on tour and support that with Ingve Malmsteen as direct support end of April, May, and the beginning of June. And it's a it, it's a six song EP um, available on all streaming platforms and KurtDimer.com in in, in uh, CD format. And it basically shares with you. Um, what Phil and I have been creating since we've been together with, with uh, Chris Lord Algae. I kind of rebooted and uh, getting fresh new material out of my mind. And I think you guys are really dig it. It's a blend of, of, of who we are. And I think we have a very unique sound. Now, I want to know, I mean, you look at um, Chris Lord Algae, I mean, one of the greatest mix engineers of all time, producers. What does he bring to the table in the sense? I mean, like, what does he get out of you in the studio? He, he, man, he brings hard work. He works so hard. He he'll work on our material at home. He'll shove aside. Like, here's a good example of how much he believes in what Phil and I are doing, and how much we believe in him. We were out in L.A. two weeks ago. Phil and I and Chris for the first time in the studio. Usually, we're doing everything remote, and we were able to carve out a, a few hours there on a couple days. And so he was able aside, to actually go and be in person and do it live. Yeah, we yeah. a lot. We even, we even worked on a song for the first time in the same room. Usually, we're doing it remotely. And Chris set aside mixing the Eagles live album to work with us. So that tells you how much he's in on what we're doing. Dang. And we go to dinner every night. I mean, Chris and I have become great friends. Phil and I have become great friends, which is what's most important to all three of us. But what we're creating, I think you guys are really going to dig. And we're trying to bring back rock our way, the way where you just go to a show, you have a great time and we're hitting you with all kinds of styles. So, uh, the, uh, the EP also features Jeff Tate on a song. Uh, talk to me about getting Jeff in there. Cause to me, and I'm not trying to be political. He's the voice of Queensryche to me, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on anybody else. But well, he is. I mean, what? the other guy's a hired gun. I mean, come on, subcontractor is Scott yeah. Scott Rockenfeld. <laughs> so, let's be honest here. Come on. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, let, let, I'd be well, There's nothing politically incorrect about it. The dude's a hired gun. What do you, what do you yeah. want? That's he's not great. Jeff Tate. He's a good singer, but come on. And he's a good guy. He's a good yeah. guy. 
Uh, but talk to me about having Jeff on there because uh, when I watch the video and I hear that vocal and I hear Jeff, you know, uh, come in on your voice, I just go, yeah, that's that's for me. Wait, I like that. Oh, wait, I have to add one thing. When we were shooting the video and we're in the desert, mm -hmm. and I got, I was, you know, it's it's one of those things when you see Jeff Tate walking through a desert and he starts singing and he started singing full voice, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, it's that voice coming out of that face. What the? It was so surreal. It was so awesome. Phil was fanboying in the desert over Jeff Tate. Hey, shut it. <laughs> yeah, but 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 listen, Jeff hasn't lost his voice. I saw a solo show not too long ago, and you go, yeah. he's got to be, it's got to be tape. And it's not. It's him. It's amazing. Uh, he works hard. He sound checks before. I mean, we went on tour with him, too. So yep. he sound checks a couple hours. I mean, he, he really works hard at keeping in shape on that. So, yeah. But yeah, it, it it was crazy, man. Um, Paul, my management, Andy Gould, and Paul, Paul Gargano, who uh, uh, who I started with uh, end or end of twenty twenty. Um, Paul's good friends with uh, with the Tates, and he is a huge Queensrÿche fan. And once we had laid out this song, Chris uh, Chris and I, along with Phil, um, were. They wanted me to pick one where we could feature Jeff, have him come in, we'll shoot a music video, and then we'd support his tour. So all those things were working together at once. He flew down with his wife and his guitarist, Kieran, down to L.A. I flew out from Ohio. We all met out there uh, with my management, and we put together the video. We put together him singing on Burn Together, which I chose that song over the rest because I thought our voices would blend best on that. And and it would be a great fit for you know for what we were going to do together and then we shot the video in palmdale in 115 degree heat and then uh, we went on tour and direct support and kind of the rest is history that we are launched and here we are today so yeah it uh, was Phil, very it really came together it really came together on that tour the band just we started like killing audiences and, and it was funny because a lot of people hadn't heard from us before and uh we like kurt mentioned we didn't have our product out yet we didn't have the the cd wasn't released yet so but we were going out and you could tell at first they're looking at us like who are these guys but then we we kill everybody with every chorus everything's like really hooky and memorable and people leave our show singing at least one of the songs on the tip of their tongue so it's it's an amazing like what we've created, we feel really good about. And then getting a response like that, wherever we played, it was instant gratification and just confirming that we were doing a good thing, you know? Yeah. It was very, it was very rewarding. I was, I was, I'm curious. I mean, like, how does a band like this start? I mean, like, did you, I mean, I guess you guys have been friends and everything. And you're like, oh, let's, let's start a little project here. Let's write, let's write some songs. Like, how does this whole thing get started? Well, I actually just started playing on it like kurt had some songs chris heard and chris wanted to get involved and chris called kurt and said we need to get this guitar player on this <laughs> and uh so he didn't tell him who he was or anything were. yeah he said the cla guitarist <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and then i was drawn in because i i, I was really interested with, with what the music sounded like but then when chris uh said you write right i know you write i've mixed you know, the drills so let's let's Kurt sent you some lyrics and put some music to it. And then that just took it to another level. 
And that took my involvement to another level. Now I had more at stake. I had more invested. And then when Kurt said, you got to come out with me live, I was like, yeah, maybe I do. (laughs) Thank you, Because who's going to play your parts better than you, right? Right. And and I guess probably sitting at home for two years made you a little bit itchy or antsy to want to get back on a stage and do what you do. Yeah, that was that was a big issue. That was a big thing, too. You know, having that time off, you know, you reflect and then you're home and then you get used to being home. But then you're like, this doesn't feel right. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. So uh, when those dates came down the pike, it was like, let's go. Yeah, I'm supposed to be at the Holiday Inn in Boise. What am I doing at home? <laughs> Phil and I, we didn't even meet. We met what Phil in uh, 2020, August of 2020. The first day Phil and I met was when we shot the Have a Cigar video that's on YouTube. Exactly. That's exactly. And you know, you know, I'm like in awe. I even get to meet Phil X, and you know, I thought, well, maybe he probably thinks I'm a schlep or something. But you know, it's overwhelming when you don't know all these people, and you know, Phil's been around a long time, and I heard that guitar solo. Uh, that Chris uh, played for me after I did a little promo thing, and I'm, I about fell to the floor, and I'm like, "Who the fuck is this guitar player?" I, I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to say you, that. You're allowed to swear. And by the way, uh, Phil is a Canadian treasure. I mean, Triumph, Bon Jovi. I mean, yeah. come on, that, that's, that's, my that's my a top notch right there. Phil's my favorite guitarist. I'm not allowed to say it, but there, I said it. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, and then we're Raise there. The Phil X. We just hit <laughs> it off. Friends, and we're kind of the same dude. I mean, Phil and I would have graduated high school together. I mean, we found out a lot of commonalities in our personal lives, too. So mm. it's been a great friendship. You know, forget the music. So, Phil, did you go entirely digital for the guitars on this, or did you break out some amps? You mean live or in the studio? In studio. No, it was uh, amps cabinets. I'm, uh, I'm very analog, and uh, I don't think I'll ever change in that respect. When we went live, though, I would use my Friedman all tube hundred watt head into a two notes cabinet simulator. So wow. it gives your amp a load so it doesn't explode. Right. And then uh, I also have uh, impulse responses of my own cabinets that I did in Nashville that mm-hmm. come in the box. So I was using my own uh, cabinet being simulated with my amp. And to be honest, it's got a lot to do with the hands too, but, People were coming up to me after shows going, where's your cabinet? I'm like, there's no cabinet. It's the, the little tiny box on top. Yeah. And they're like, what? So, but the, the cool thing about that was when you're in, a, even in a direct support situation, sometimes you don't get sound check. Mm-hmm. So we were all direct. And Kyle Gerhardt, he's our sound guy. And he's just got everything dialed in. So if we don't get sound check, he just drops the stick into his console from the night before does one or two tweaks and it sounds amazing out of the gate yeah 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 so the that in that respect that technology is fantastic yeah for sure it's amazing how you can just like you know go into rehearsal and then you know kind of have your screenshots and everything loaded Mm -hmm. and then you know every venue let's just say thank god there's no zoom cabinets yep (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say that just just gonna throw that out there well if phil if phil x designed the zoom cabinets hey at least it would sound great you know true true yeah (laughs) You guys give me ideas, man. <laughs> you know, I, I got a really nerdy question, though. I mean, how do you go and actually model cabinets? Like, what is the process of that? I mean. Oh, man. Okay, I'll just be really, really quick with this. So, say you're looking at a cabinet in a studio. You know, you got a microphone, a series of microphones. 
going into, say, an API mic pre and recording a sound. They, they not a guitar, but an actual, it does like all the frequencies and what it would sound like coming out of that speaker into that microphone. And then they move the microphone an inch and they do it again. So they get 20,000 captures with like eight different microphones and thousands of angles. And then so that when you move the microphone on your phone, which I move the microphone, this is my cabinet. I take it. I move the microphone to the right a little bit and it sounds like I moved the microphone. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like you EQ'd it to kind of fake it. So yeah. that's the quick explanation. Wow. So it's not even a guitar that's being recorded. It's like, it's like the frequency like thing. Well, it's a, fre it's a frequency. That's why I call it. It's an impulse. It's oh. a, it's a pulse of a, 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 a frequency sound uh, designed to emulate guitar. Cause if, I mean, you'd be playing for hours and hours and hours and hours, but it's yeah. very specific and very accurate. I have to say. Wow. And I just got to say for, for fans that don't understand gear talk, we, we will be offering a Google translate. So just to help you out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want more gear talk in a second, but Kurt, I just want to quickly ask you, you've done um, Hellbilly Hollow and Halloween. You've acted. Um, yeah. Is that something that you're still going to do? Is that still a concern, or are you all all rock, no talk? Well, I'm all rock, but I'm also yes, acting will continue when I I'm working on my that Hellbilly Hollow is in post, about to be done, and should come out this year. So we've really um, re revamped that thing, and it's ready to go. So Andy Gould's going to be taking that to market um, after probably April and that should come out around October. And then I've already got Hellbilly Hollow 2 written. So I, I own that franchise and oh, wow. got the script done. And uh, Paul Boyd, who's going to be the director and who wrote it with me, is coming in this weekend. So we're going to be doing a final read through and then keep tweaking that. So we'll probably try to shoot that, shoot that in the winter, like December, January, when the music industry is kind of down is right. when I like to film my, my movies. And then if any, you know, there's other projects being offered to me now because of what I did in Halloween of trading paint and people that have seen my Hellbilly Hollow so far, as long as it fits in with my schedule, but the music is first and foremost. So if Bill and I are on tour and we're somewhere and I would turn down doing a role in a movie over playing my shows. So wow. movies will be fit in around the music. So the music's ah, really important to you then at the end of the day. I mean, you know, it's. Oh, the music. I mean, every, you know, everybody tell, you know, I've, I've heard it. I mean, I, like I said, I was, I started as a freshman in high school. I feel like I'm junior senior now, I'm, I'm, but I'm not even in college yet. And my, my goal, I mean, people can tell me no every day of my life. They've told me no, 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 since I was young. And I've, you know, done everything I've done in my life, despite everybody telling me your dreams and ideas are just foolish. And my whole goal is to play all over the world and entertain people and share my music with these people. And for Phil X and I and our guys in the band to put on some of the, some of the most epic shows that people have ever seen by the time we're done here on Earth. So, With your film background, does that contribute to your lyrical content and your writing? I mean, does it help you kind of like trim the fat sort of? or? Um, it doesn't help me as far as the lyrics go. That's just my crazy brain and just getting stuff out of my brain but it helps me and i noticed a, a, a major difference like 
the first tour I ever did when I was cutting my teeth is the prior name I went under. I was just kind of, that was kind of like my playing at the local clubs at the bars, just mm -hmm. feeling out, do I dig this? Do I want to do this? And if you saw any of those shows compared to what we just did on the last tour, now I'm more the actor, the theater, the moving around on stage, putting, I get so into, like, pumped up, like I'm getting ready to go in a game and I'm going to go kick the ass out of this audience yeah. and just make yeah. them love it and just get them all involved. So I'm evolving just like we all do in different phases of our life. So, Right. Phil, of course, the uh, Bon Jovi tour is kicking off on April 1st. Uh, what can fans expect this time around? You're going to be changing up the set list, for new, some new production, new surprises. Oh, man. It's going to um, be awesome. I guess I can't say what, but we, we've been digging deep. We've been doing, digging into the deep cuts, man, at rehearsal. Really? So I can't. And, I, you know, it's funny because I've seen so I've done so many shows and over the years and I can't wait to see some of the faces when we hit one of these songs. Really? People are going to be like, Price of Love? <gasps> what? It's, really? it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting in that respect. Well, but I can't divulge much. Right. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. Right. Interesting. That's exciting. Mitch is like got a boner right now just thinking about it. <laughs> Listen, I... Dude, hey, Mr. Mr. Canada, are you flying to a show? I would love to go to a show, but I, hopefully you'll be coming out to uh, to Montreal at some point. The uh, the tour when it got uh, postponed from the pandemic with Brian Adams was coming yes. through the Bell Center. So yeah. Dude, yeah. that was a power uh, tour, man. Yeah, and you know I've seen Bon Jovi all over the world, and there is something very particular that happens either in Quebec City or Montreal, where all of a sudden a twenty one song set list becomes a twenty nine song set list, and it's just this never ending love fest. Um, it's sort of the place to see the. I mean, I guess obviously New Jersey might be another place to see the band, but yeah, you know what though? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell Kurt. They they warned me when we rolled into Montreal. They said this is gonna be the loudest inside yep. audience you've ever heard, yep. and it was. I was floored. Like you take your in ears out, and oh, you got to put it back in because they're so loud. Yeah. And and listen, I've seen you in New York, or, or I've seen the band in New York. I've seen it in Boston. I've seen, and that Bell Center just, yeah. There's just it, something about the Montreal crowd with those types of bands. I mean, yeah, bon Metallica, Jovi, Bon Jovi, Leopard. and Def Leppard right here is it, mm -hmm. that's where you want to see them. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, it, just real, real quick, uh, we touched upon it in the uh, interview warm up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you 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 had this other band bald man which I, I love the name is that something that we're done with because that was sort of a crossover of hip-hop and and country it was it was very different to what you're doing now um i mean you get some some flavors from it and all that but again that like i i, I said earlier that was just kind of my feeling my way i mean i i was i, I like that name but i didn't know i didn't know what i should do and i don't know yet that that I, maybe i should not have changed it i don't know but i trust andy gould who's you know managed and built some pretty big uh, musical acts like rob zombie banish lincoln park I, you know how can i go against him when he says your name is cool and you need to rebrand as kurt dimer now that you've got to this level and right yeah. i took his advice so um but You'll still hear some of those styles. I mean, Phil and I, Fight song, Fight was on there. Southbound was on there. Phil and Chris Lord Algie and I have redone those. And they'll, you'll, you'll, 
you know, anybody who heard those before are going to be blown away when they hear them now, but I don't know that I'll redo them all. There was just a few that, you know, we might trickle in here and there, but fight and Southbound definitely will be coming out at, at, with our new team. But yeah, you'll, yeah we've, you'll been, be- we've been, we've been learning about each other a lot. Right. And, uh, and like, like Kurt mentioned, when we were all in the studio at the same time last week or two weeks ago, it was, it was pretty wild. I mean, I really still like, you know, we kind of have a really cool formula with Kurt sliding me the lyrics and me kind of working on some music and then putting it all together with, and we've been using Brian Tishy on drums. And then when Chris gets his hands on it, he makes really hard arrangement calls and just makes everything sound incredible. And then when we listen to it, we're like, yeah, that's a good formula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or we're, it's so good with Chris that like if Phil, like, you know, he wanted to change some stuff. And Phil says, hey, I can, this is why we wanted to keep these words in here. Or he takes our advice. He listens to us as well. And you would think Chris, a, a guy of his stature and credibility, wouldn't. But we all work together as a team and and we give our ideas. And it's just working. And it's really magical kind of. It's really crazy. If I, I don't know. I can't really because this is really my first. But Phil's been in a lot of bands. And. I, I know Phil wouldn't be doing this if he didn't believe in it like I did. So, yeah. Now you work with with Chris or Chris Lord Algae. Now the the big big question is, when you guys go and you're sitting there watching a mix, is he really using his Waves plugins? He, I, he uses all kinds. Of, I don't even know what all. <laughs> First of all, I got I got to say he <laughs> he plays a console like it's a keyboard. It's really? like he's it's like he's in the band. It's pretty amazing. I don't think I've seen anybody else do it like that. He's just you know what? There's people that make music and there's people that love music and there's people that love making music. He loves it. He's he's in he's all in and especially when he's digging it, you will yeah. hear that he's digging it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll we'll we'll be. It's like being in a starship, and then after we're done, sometimes I'll go to his house and he'll he'll play our songs on his uh, that we just worked on in his back by his pool. And Chris is playing air guitar and every. I mean, he's really into our what we're doing. And And wait, you guys, you guys have to understand, he has a concert PA system by his pool. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. What? Was he got like line arrays and everything? Or yeah, go. Oh my god, that bass is killing me. Yeah. (laughs) Damn, I have a pool party at Chris CLA's. Then, yeah, we we need to get him on the uh, on the show too and talk to him about all the stuff he's done. I mean, oh, so dude, many bands. He'd, he's he'd be a great guest. He would be yeah. awesome. All right, hook us up. Hook us up. He's, he's if you he's look at some, and if you look at some of his uh, um, videos he's doing now, if you'll notice, he's doing a lot of. Our, I mean, he's doing our tunes on there. You know, when he's explaining different products. Yeah. Yeah, so, which like the waves really, plugins and stuff like that. That's why I asked. Like, so many people have plugins and IRs. Sorry, Phil, but it's like you know, you're, well, you're, no, always, you're always curious. You're like, right. do, do they really use it, or you know? Yeah, but you know what? Because he does his. Here's the thing, though. Because I thought, oh my god, he gave away so many plugin tricks in that video. Yeah. But then I think, yeah, but whoever takes those tricks isn't going to do the same thing because they don't have his ears. Yeah. And they don't have his techniques. So it, no matter how much he guides you, you don't have what he's got. So that's why it makes sense. It's the same thing with guitar licks. I can show anybody my guitar licks, but they're not going to play them like I play them. But with Chris, there's just something really special about, uh, you know, somebody said, I was watching this video and it said, 
a Kurt Dimer song and I'm going, wait a minute, that I hear Phil singing background vocals and then the solo popped up and I was like, oh my God. And of course it's Phil. <laughs> it's right. kind of like, but it's nice when Chris has his heart in something, he uses that stuff in his, uh, in his, you know, master classes. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, that's it. Like, there you uh, go. You, you, the product is kind of the the product that speaks for itself in the end, and you know, I can I can yeah. imagine how many. I, geez, I pretty much have all of his plugins in my studio at this point. It's like it's a gold mine that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and also a preset will only take you so far. Like you said, at the end of the day, you can be guided, but you know, if you don't have a vision for it and if you don't have the ears for it, well, you know, the preset will only get you so far. Yeah. Right. It's like trying to follow my grandmother's recipe for uh, Italian sauce, you know, unless she does it. It's just going to be mush tomatoes. That's yeah. a perfect analogy right there. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's how it goes. Uh, work hard, rock hard, available now. Uh, Jeremy, any last words? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, this, this is awesome. Uh, interview round two. Uh, <laughs> I think we yeah. killed it this time. <laughs> well. Much I like, better. I appreciate you guys having us very much. Um, it, you know, and Mitch, you've been very kind to me since you first heard of me, and I appreciate you very much for that. Jeremy, it was very nice to meet you. And yeah, work hard, rock hard. It's our debut EP. It's streaming everywhere, and you can go to KurtDimer.com, D-E-I-M-E-R, and get the CD. And I'm happy to sign it phil phil and i are happy to do anything for our fans we like to call them our family our friends so we're coming and we're here so check us out on our social media and everything and thank you guys for having us absolutely and uh, Thanks, phil, i will keep saying this uh keep doing what you're doing in bon jovi it's, it's terrific i, I love Thanks. it you're you're great live yep thanks man I well, on studio it. too but you're great live you know what i mean <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Thank you, Kurt. That's got to check out what Phil does in our band too, man, because he's he's gonna shock the fuck out of you. Yeah, let's bring let's bring that show up to Montreal. Let's go. Bring it up here. We're waiting on camp to let us. So, well, uh, effective. Well, now we can. Every we're open. Shit's open, man. We're open from coast to coast, hundred percent. Awesome, awesome. We'll be up there soon. Thank you, everybody. Merci, bonsoir. Cheers. See you later, guys. Now back to the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. We are speaking with uh, the one and only FM vocalist Steve Overland. The new album, 13, is out now. And of course, and I'm biased, it is fantastic. Love it. <laughs> Good. Absolutely, absolutely love it. So, so let me get to this real quick, because the band broke up for a while and then got back together around 2007, 2008. Yeah. And if we include live albums and EPs, you have put out 12 product, I guess, you know, between Metropolis and Futurama and Indiscreet and Synchron. Talk to me about that output, because here's a band that, as as I said, breaks up and then gets back together. But you don't just get back together to play the greatest hits and do a couple of festival gigs. You get back together and you get to work. Exactly. I mean... That's the one thing I think we've touched on this before, Mitch, with FM. Yeah. We're not really about, obviously, the past is important because that's how right. we got the fans we have, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's all about what we do next. Always right. is, you know. And, um, you know, the, the positivity around FM since it reformed is what keeps us going. You want to keep writing. You want to keep touring because it's good fun. Everybody's so positive around the band. 
the reviews the records are great we have no reason not to just want to keep writing recording and that is the main thing with with fm the 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 writing process and the making of records has always been something we've loved doing you know hearing a song from something on an acoustic guitar to that massive finish thing that we we produce is um we still get the same boss out of it as, as we always have done and um we're already working on the next album we're talking about we've got we started writing the songs and we've got tours coming up so for the first time in two years we're out on the road for two months wow. it started at the end of this month so you know well god for you know god god forbid it you know but i mean you know we we kind of um we kind of like to get ahead of the game so we start right. writing knowing that we won't have time to go in and write once we get out on the road again so we ju- it's just because everybody's so happy Mitch in the band everybody is the positivity is amazing within the band so we just keep writing and putting the stuff out and we have a massively high benchmark i think the quality controls great we we never think do you know what we need to get this out that'll do we're to the point where we're obsessive we'll be like no no we can't pull it out yet it's not ready it's not ready we have to you know and um that's the great thing about the band we've always had that that kind of high benchmark that we, we set ourselves you know Right. In fact, that was my next question was the quality control, because I know other bands that do this and they get an album out every year and then you listen to it and you go, maybe you should take some time and pick the three, four bests. And But you're not having that problem. I personally think, and, and I know longtime fans probably hate when I say this, but I think Atomic Generation, I think Synchronize are probably better than anything you've done before. I just think that you've gotten progressively better. So so what is the quality control? Do you sort of come into it with like, like you just said you're working on the next new album. Do you have like 30 songs and say, okay, these 20, let's not even start a conversation, but these 10, hmm. oof, we can make something. Or or do you just take 10 and just, just go, well, okay, we've got these 10. Let's, let's do it. No. Let's do our magic. No, you're right. I mean, we normally write about between 20 and 25 songs for each record. Wow. And what we'll do, that doesn't mean, because various people are bringing things in, so that doesn't mean that the the 12 that go on the record are necessarily the best songs. What it means is it means that they make up the best overall, they make the most interesting record. There's a bit of diversity. They they paint the nicest picture. Yeah, sure. Looking for light and shade, aren't you, with a record? And, um, you yeah. know, you can't have too many of that particular sort of track. And we we tend to go through, and some of the songs that don't make this particular record may surf- resurface on an EP. They're all produced to the same level. We record all of them. And we get with they're mixed by Jeff Nola, who mixes all of our stuff, and we produce it to the same level. So we've got a good basic sort of picture as you, you as you described it picture because they all sound the same it's not like 12 of them sound amazing and the rest of them the demos they're all produced to the same level gotcha so we can then say do you know what that those those 12 make up a really great varied interesting record and that's how we do it you know and um this time around it was slightly different because obviously we couldn't see each other right you know right. we were we were locked down um again so we basically all of us have um, studios. So the rest of the band got a lot more involved. Everybody had a lot more time because we weren't touring. So we got songs from Jem, keyboard player, lots of really great stuff from every member of the band. 
So we actually had a bigger pool of songs. So there are some even ideas that we haven't even had time to look at for, for maybe we looked at for the next album, you know, and it was a different process this time. And I think it's great because it takes a bit of pressure off of me, Mitch, because I normally instigate a lot of the songs. This album, although I'm, I co-wrote them, I'm involved in them all, I didn't come up with a lot of the initial ideas. They came from other members, which is really refreshing. I'm not the kind, for me, I'm not the sort of guy that says, oh, no, 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 you know, I do that. I love it when everybody else does. takes that pressure off of me a little bit, you know? Let and me you, ask you then, how does that affect... Oh, we're getting an echo there. How does that affect the song in the sense of a performance and in terms of, I don't want to say quality, but if you're the songwriter and then you get in there and you're singing your words, there's probably a, a more a connection, more of a passion. In this case, if it's coming from outside and it's, you're not necessarily responsible for it, how do you sort of get in there and say, yeah, this is my song and I'm going to believe in this lyric and I'm going to get behind it and... Is it, and I don't want to say one way is better or worse, but has it, did it change sort of the, the, the outlook um, or the sound of the band? No, no, not really. Because what it is with FM, we all have, even if I come up with a tune, the, the way it gets to sound like FM is everybody else's input on the song. It can right. be nearly right. finished. But I mean, things like Jem's songs, like Long Road Home, I, I wrote the lyrics and the melodies to his piece of music. So, I get to put my stamp on with the way I sing it, and they never, ever come in and say, this is how it goes, Steve. They always say, do your thing on it. Do what you do. Do do Steve Overland. Do a Steve Overland on it, as they put it, you know. <laughs> so basically they give me a, a rough, rough outline of how they want the phrasing to go, and then I take it and, and ruin it all for them. You know, you make it. You, you, <laughs> you save their work. No, I'm kidding. Um, you you mentioned that you write twenty to twenty five songs, and you have some that are left over, but they're all produced in in a finished sort of version. Yeah. Uh, so if we're looking at thirteen or at synchronized, are there songs left over from Atomic Generation or from Heroes and Villains? I mean, are, is there anything yeah. that there are? And so, yeah. since it's left over, are they reworked for the for the current? project I mean, or do you just go do you know what they're there can okay they're just there Mitch. they they sometimes crop up if we did an ep say we couldn't get an album out we wanted another ep to put a, our eps normally have 10 songs on anyway but i mean right. if we do if we, if we do one we might delve back and say that'd be great on but the funny thing with the band is we say oh yeah they're great those songs we'll use those on the next album and then we write another 20 so they they get left in a vault somewhere to be used occasionally one will be pulled out if we need a ballad and we've got a great ballad that's in that vault we'll pull it out and say listen we need to put this on the album but more often than not the songs just keep rolling so because they're old songs and as i said at the start of the interview we're more about what we're going to do next right so so if we write 20 new ones we're really excited about those because we've never heard them produced so it's like we tend to go with the new stuff and maybe dip back into what we've got left over maybe you know maybe now uh just real quick you've also got the lone rider album coming out later this year yeah hell yeah yeah um talk to me about that because it, it got delayed for mm. it was supposed to be uh february or march and now it's now yeah yeah whatever may or june uh quickly talk to me about that project because that's another project where you listen to it and simon kirk and you, you just go wow this is great <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i mean have, have you you haven't heard any of the new record yet no i have not 
oh, I mean, it's, uh, we kind of, I mean, I loved the first record because it was, I mean, we've talked about it in the past and it's um, an album I've wanted to make for years, just to strip down 70s blues rock album in the style that Free used to record. FM are about this huge, big production. Mm-hmm. This band, this band's about being able to hear what the bass player is doing and being able to hear everything. It's, it's a very stripped down band. It's guitars, bass, drums, and a singer. That's what it is, you know. And um, the new album is great. I, I, mean, I think if you like the first time, you love this. I mean, Lone Road is an ongoing thing for me. It's something Simon's on board. He loves doing it. He loves the songs. He loves the material because Bad Company are kind of touring still, but there's no new albums coming out. So Simon has to play. And obviously, we couldn't all get together in the studio for the obvious reason. So Simon lives in New York. He's got a great studio. He said, look, Steve, he said, I'll do my drums a lot in, in my own studio. I'll send you a sample over. And he sent me the, the first track over with his kit on where he records in his studio. Unbelievable sound. I mean, I don't know what where his, what his studio is, but <laughs> he knows how to record drums in it, whatever it is. It sounds amazing, the kit. So we just made the record and it all got put together and everybody did their bits and it's a great record. I mean, the songs just, um, they're easy records to write for me because I can delve back into all the music I loved and grew up with. So, you know, the first Bad Company record for me was like a, a revelation. I, I wore, wore the first copy out and went out and bought another one, you know. And um, so to be able to make a record like that with Simon Kirk on drums still and have that kind of same sound and it being played the same because he plays drums differently to modern rock drummers. Right. He's from a different place, you know, and um, it's all about backbeat and, you know, just pulling it all back and the groove and stuff like that. And it's an honour to have him on the record. And the records are great. And I can't wait. Funnily enough, I was talking about doing the third one the other day to Steve. We were already thinking about that. So, you know, when you I slot it into the, the <laughs> schedule... You know, I just love it, Mitch. I just love the recording thing. I'm still like I was when I was 20 years old. I just love doing it, you know. And I'm, it's- uh, I'm currently staring at my pre-order. So Sundown is coming out. It uh, doesn't say what the date is, though. June, I think it is, right? Yeah, end of June. I mean, it got delayed just quickly because I don't know whether you know, but to get vinyl done at the moment is nearly impossible. Right. Because- and, and it's going to get worse as we lose yeah. our oil. Um, yeah, and I mean, the vinyl we, we've got for this record is stunning. And we, were, we had so much, took so much time over it. And then we were told, oh, well, we can't get the vinyl done until two months after the release date. So it's like, well, the initial impact of the, all the advertising is gone then. You can't suddenly then say, by the way, yeah, <laughs> there's a vinyl version of this. So we just decided, well, I just talked to Khalil at the record company. And we decided, you know, people, people can wait another couple of months and, you know, we can to have a good build up to the album and, and we'll have all the vinyl and everything will be in place. So it's just, and it's still tough to, to get it. I mean, it's to get vinyl done because Adele released an album and all right. the vinyl right. went towards her album and, and ABBA. <laughs> so you couldn't get anything done. So that's why it got delayed anyway. That's the yeah, delay. I, I, I saw that there were like three releases. It was Adele and whatever, Justin Bieber or something. They took up all, yeah. all the vinyl. Yeah, no, but... you got no chance. You know, they're, they're doing like half a million vinyl at a time. We're, we only want a few <laughs> compared with that, you know, but we have to take a specking order. So you go well down the list and it's just yeah. hard work. There's just not enough vinyl pressing plants. There's not enough of them, you know. 
Well, listen, as a guy who loves CDs, I don't care. No. <laughs> no. Well, I've got, I have all these beautiful vinyl records that I've had for years. I'm and staring no at stacks deck. and stacks. No record deck, you know. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, when you, when you make a vinyl, because this has been happening with a lot of bands, is that they take the sort of mastered for iTunes version and they just sort of dump it on the vinyl and say, here you go. And then you listen no. to it and you go, no, no, no. Sounds no. cool. No. What is it has yours? to be mastered properly for vinyl. It has to be because it's okay. a different process. You can only put so much time in on one side. It's a different sound. It has right. to be, you know, so we, it's done individually. It's mastered separately for vinyl. Okay, yeah, because there are a lot of the bigger bands that are doing these deluxe box set reissues and you listen to the CD and you listen to the vinyl and you go, you didn't master this for this for this format. This is no, you cheated. No, no. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I had a call from Jim. He's just been away on holiday because before we go on the tour, and he he got sent the um the first vinyl through the record company, and he has got a record deck with a wicked set of speakers and all that. And he just he was he just so excited. He said, "Have you heard the mastering on the vinyl?" I went, "Well, I haven't got a record deck for starts. So no, you know." But he said it is just amazing what the, the master the master of the vinyl is supposed to be incredible on the new fm record so oh, wow. i'll have to pop around to his house and have a listen at some point you know uh, talking about jim he of course does the whole blues blues thing and even blues rocks thing yeah talk to me about that influence on the fm sound because again and i know longtime fans don't like when i say this but i think he's made the band better because it just adds that texture that wasn't yeah. there before and that's not a disrespectful to andy or anybody else i just think jim's great yeah, um, yeah. Talk to me about that, and how do you incorporate? Or I mean, or do you say to him, "Listen, put away your blues nonsense. We, let, let's do some some melodic rock." Or do you say, "Bring that in"? No. The thing with Jim is, I mean, if you listen to my brother's playing, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of blue. His favorite guitar player was Gary Moore, so right. there's a lot always been an element of blues in FM sound anyway. So Jim, Jim is just a great guitar player, Mitch. Right. I mean, you know, you. He's not a rock guitar player. He's not a blues guitar player. He can play country. He can play everything really well. He's just a brilliant player. So what he does is he incorporates his love, which is blues. I mean, his slide, he's probably one of the best slide guitar players I've ever heard in my life. Slide right. guitar is just off the scale as a slide guitar player. And um, I knew Jim. I got Jim into FM. I mean, he was my friend, and we used to work together and write songs together before he joined the band. Um, right. And, you know, Jim's blues player as a blues guitar player he's incredible he's incredible and the fact that he gets some of that feeling and that retro kind of approach to guitar playing into what is essentially an aor melodic rock band mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i think it gives it another element you know i love all your i love your steve lucas and all that stuff it's fantastic but jim just brings something a little bit different to the to the table with his playing you know um Blues is his thing. When he joined the band, I mean, he said to me, he said, I'm not going to change your brother's guitar solos. He said, I'm going to play them as they are live. He said, because they're, they're a fantastic pieces of music. Right. You know? right. Um, but he just said, I'll just put my own slant on the way I play them. And that's what he's done. You know, and I agree with you. He's he being, being that kind of younger member. Also, he gives us a kick up the backside. You know, he's, he's, he's great to have in the band. Great to have in the band. Yeah, and of course, yeah. there was no disrespect meant to any of the players before. Their, their albums are great. We know they're great. I just love Jim. That's yeah. No, Jim's great. Jim's fantastic. Well, he's like my son. 
Well, not really, but <laughs> you know, it's great having him. He's like my best friend, so having him in the band's a real, a real joy. Yeah. Real joy. Um, the Stax Band is another band that you work with, which has an, another album coming out later this year. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that one, because I don't want to call it. It's not a big band, but it's got it's got more of. Um, well, it is and, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got yeah. fifteen-piece band, Mitch. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's um, it's made up of a it's lot. Stacked. Of really, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's made up of a lot of really famous players. It's right. um, apart from me. No, so <laughs> you've got Tony Remy, who played with the Crusaders and played with yeah. Jack Bruce and played with. Annie Lennox all through her diva period. He's played with everybody. So he's a very famous jazz funk guitar player. Um, he took over from Larry Carlton, the Crusaders. That's how great a player he is. You've got the Simply Red Brass section. You've got a member of the Gorillas in there. You've got all these famous session guys. You've got three brilliant female backing singers some of those are really well known there's there's a lady called sonia jones who's like sang on she did the monty python theme she sang with the stones she sang with the who and you got um just some some fantastic people in the band and i got asked to go and do one song on one of the albums went into the studio and uh, the producer andy wright i kind of knew him and he produces simply red and simple minds and all those bands and he's like, oh, God, Steve, you know, I went in, I did my one song and ended up doing six on the album. And then I went away and wrote the next album with Andy. Wow. And that's the one that's due to come out um, later in the year. And it's a great record. I, I don't know how you describe it. It's kind of funk, soul, pop. It's fantastic. And it gives me a chance to delve into the Tamler and the soul side of my influences and what I love, you know, so... It keeps it very interesting, all these different styles, and I just love sort of pushing myself to do different things. I think it's important, you know? Um, with, with these three different projects, I'm sorry, I'm trying to, there's an echo there. With these three different projects, do you do you want to tour all three or do shows? I mean, you, may, you probably can't tour with Stacks, but maybe do five, six shows locally or whatever. Is, is that of interest, or is it like, no, these, these are albums and FM is the touring band? No, no, I'd love to tour with all. I do, I do shows with Stacks. I mean, we have um, right, but not many. We do some fairly high-profile gigs, and we have guests like they've had. We had people like Paul Carrick, Steve Winwood. I did um, a night where I did a couple of duets with Beverly Knight, who's wow. just off the scale. Beverly Knight. So, I mean, my mic went wrong on the first song, and I just stood back and listened to, it, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, so yeah, and we had Lulu. Her. We've had some really Steve Winwood, as I say, some real famous people sing with the Stax Band. Wow. Um, oh. Roachford's done it. There's been some big singers, and um, it's great. I get to do duets with them at the end. So fantastic! It's, br it's brilliant. You know. Bef before we run out of time here, I'm going to throw a question that has nothing to do with FM, but I'm just curious on your on your thoughts. Uh, we are March 2022, and of course, Genesis is on their last run, and they will, of course cease to exist yeah uh, by april 1st unfortunately but uh but uh, fortunate that they're giving us this one last tour what has the band if anything meant to you and just quickly talk to me about phil collins voice because i can listen to him sing the phone book and i just it's it's terrific um well, his, his voice is a voice that draws you into the story he's telling nobody sings ballads better than phil collins you know what i mean he's, he's got that thing that draws you into and the way they record the way he records his voice is there 
that's in your face and the presence of what he sings. And I just think he's a, he has a lot of soul in his voice, not in the sense of as a soul singer, but he just has natural soul in right. his voice, you know, tonally and stuff. And, um, well, Genesis as a band were a massive influence on me. My brother's favorite band of all time, Genesis, you know, um, and look at the songs, Mitch, and the players in the band and the, the technicality of it, even the the early stuff, you know what I mean? Like, you know, all, all of those, all the things like Supper's Ready, all that stuff, all the real the, more theatrical side of what they did when they also had the terrible artist called Peter Gabriel in the band, you know, but... <laughs> and Peter's a real great singer. Oh, man, I mean, you know, you're talking about absolutely unique voice and delivery of songs for um, Peter Gabriel, you know, and, um, you know, great singers come in a lot of different forms they don't have to have this huge range they don't have to be able to do fantastic licks and and it's not about that it's about that's phil collins the minute you hear him sing the first two words of a song you know it's him and it's the same with peter gabriel it's all about identity you know and um that's what a great singer is tony yeah. bennett's a fantastic brilliant singer because you know it's tony bennett than the first line of a song you know and they're all great, great, fantastic singers. They really are. They really are. And have you ever had a, a band argument with Pete and turned to him and said, listen, you're no Phil Collins. Just sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, he does fancy himself as a singer, Pete. He does, does like he? a singer every now and again, you know, and he's, <laughs> but he's good. He's a great harmony singer. He's great. He can sing, you know. All of FM can sing. They can all sing, you know. Well, oh, yeah. So let me ask you about that because Jim obviously does his albums where he sings. And they yeah. sound great. And, and Pete wants to be Phil. I kid. No, but <laughs> have you ever thought maybe on one of the albums we'll give one song to, you know, like Kiss does or, or uh, the Beatles did and just say? I'd love to. I'd love to, Rich. They won't do it, though. <laughs> but would that tarnish the, the sound of the band if it's not you no, singing? They just no? won't do it. They're, they're, like their, their opinion is, why am I going to sing when we got you as the singer in the band? Well, that's it's true. Like, it's a bit like why I don't take the solos. I let Jim do them, you know. <laughs> well, it's so. funny because years ago, Poison did an album called Holly Weird, and they couldn't decide who's going to sing what song. So they put yeah. C.C. DeVille singing one singing a version, and then they put Brett singing the same song, and they said, screw yeah. it. We're just going to put both. The hell with it. Here. Well, I mean, do you know what? It'd be great to have even if we got Jim singing a, a couple of sections within a song. Yes. Like the Eagles used to like, you'd have a verse done by Glenn Frey, then Don Henley would sing the bridge and yeah. so on, you know, and it'd be, that's, that's not a bad idea. I'll ask him again, but he's not very up for it, to be honest, you know, but yeah. I'll ask him. And listen, my, my point of reference is always Kiss, and, you know, they have that song shouted out loud, and they trade vocal. I mean, trading yeah. vocals can be very cool. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I'd be, it's not my, not my doing, I'd be well up for it. So if any <laughs> of them watch this and they want to have a go, great. Okay, yeah, so I'd love them too. And uh, last question here. Uh, of course, the new album, 13, out now. Sounds great. Um, and I'll go back to where we started at the beginning with the reunion talk. When you got into that reunion mode and you said, okay, we're going to do whatever, with Firefest, I guess it was, hmm. did you have that discussion and say, listen, if we're going to do this, we are going to be a current band making new music? Or, or was there any pushback from other people going, oh, dude, just, let's just go sing the 15 greatest hits and ugh, we don't need mm. to do this. Were there any discussions like that? Or did everybody just say, no, nope, we're FM, we're a current band, that's it? Well, we, what happened was, I think, um, and I think we've 
we've we've talked a lot on this, Mitch. I think um, yeah. we were in shock for a while. We did the show. It's the first time the Firefest had ever sold out. People came from all over the world. The band thought they would be doing a few gigs. That was what the intention was. Just because we wanted to get back together, we we never fell out. We were good mates right through the 10 years right. we were apart. And I worked with Merv on a few things, and we kept in touch, you know. And um, so the, the initial thing was, what's happened? You know, what what is all this about? We were in shock. And, but then when we made the decision, people started coming forward and saying, you can't just stop now. You can't stop again. That, uh, did you not see that? Did you not see that reaction? And so we then gave it. Probably Dave and, Ling, right? Well, he was there. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> like, listen, mates, you, you must go yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat down and we said, look, what do you think? And we had exactly that discussion. And we said, look, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it as well, if not better than we did it before. Right. Otherwise, there's no point. There's no point. You know, we can't, what we don't want to be is a band that just trudges around playing a few gigs, playing all the old songs, because we wanted to play some new material. We were so excited by it. We said, let's start writing a few songs. And then basically people heard we were writing, came out the woodwork and said, you're on a new album. And we're like, well, we're not writing a new album. We're just writing a few tunes, you know. And and Metropolis came together. I had this song. We put it all together and it all came together as a record. And since that happened, Mitch, that's been the thing that FM are about. It's about, right, that album we, that we're really pleased with. It was a great record. So what are we going to do next? Right. You know? And that's what we do. That's what the band is. It's all about the next record. Once we're happy and we're proud of the one we've done, it's all about... It's, I mean, the live albums usually come about through somebody saying to us, look, we recorded these shows on the last tour. Have you heard them? You should put it out. And then people, but we don't really ever think about releasing a live album. It's a bit like the Indiscreet record, right. the Indiscreet 30 record. I think I've spoken when, when we spoke about that. I was dead against doing it because to me it was a, about going backwards. And that's not what we want to do. But because right. we put a different slant on it, I said, if we're going to do it, we're going to have to re-record it with Jim on guitar, loads more power, record it differently. I'll redo the vocals, change some melodies. It's got to be a different indiscreet to the original one otherwise there's no point in doing it you know and so it's all about moving forward and has been since we reformed and, and I'll, I'll say this uh, the metropolis record uh, over you is is one of the best songs you've ever recorded just thank you quickly and uh, indiscreet 30 i i don't see that as looking back i i think it was absolutely brilliant i think the the update is perfect now we have two versions to take. You know, Monday I can listen to the old one, and Tuesday I can listen to the new one, and I'm not getting the same thing. So th that works. That's great. And and uh, the Tough It Out live album was was also great because there was new arrangements and new approaches. And yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, it's important. I mean, we as I say, we kind of um, that's what we try and do. I mean, the Tough It Out live album came out great. I mean, we heard the recordings. It was a bit like, you know, we're only ever going to do this once, play the whole album. So why not? Because the recordings, it was our sound manager. He didn't even tell us he was recording a lot of the shows. And he played them to us. He said, I'm going to send you this. Have a listen to this. And he sent us a few tracks and we're like, this is pretty exciting. This sounds really exciting. So we just, yeah. we just listened through the gigs, put the record together and 
we we nailed it on the tour so it, it was we were obviously excited about doing it going back and doing it so i thought i thought that came across in the record which was great you know perfect and uh the band is not slowing down 12 records since 2008 so yeah never that's insane never. until we have to until we until have, we have to. to there you go yeah. always a pleasure uh thank you for 13 i think it's another phenomenal record just another cherry on top of the other cherries on top that we've been stacking on these <laughs> on this sunday on the fm sunday for a decade now that's um, thanks thanks Mitch. i'm glad you like it it's brilliant brilliant to hear you know yeah, well, you know what, and, and and this is a compliment to you. A lot of it has to do with the voice. You could take the same songs, you could take "Over You" from Metropolis, and and you you put on the wrong vocalist, or a vocalist I don't like, and it just it wouldn't work. So it's now I guess it's um it's all great. It's all part of the the overall thing that we're about, isn't it? You know, and um the songs are written around the way I sing, even when the other guys write them. As I say, they just say right now, do your Steve Overland thing on them, and that's that's how it becomes FM yep. with what they put into it and what I do. It's a it's very much a band, Mitch. Very much a band, you know. Absolutely, it's it's a it's a well oiled machine. It's a refined sound, and uh, for anybody who likes, you know, hard melodic rock or melodic rock, you you got to check it out. Yeah, fantastic. Merci bien. Have a good day. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And you take care of yourself. Good to see you. Cheers. An all-new episode of the Mitch Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews. Bonus content. And episodes on demand now. Visit YouTube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.